Appendix The UK Police Service How does it work? Police ranks I think it's worth explaining the rank structure of the UK Police Service. What follows is a basic guide for the different policing positions and where they fit in the hierarchy of the UK Police Service. Police Constable This is the entry point for the overwhelming majority of people in the service. I say majority because there is now a direct entry process that allows a small number of people to enter directly at either inspector or superintendent rank. The police constable rank comprises about 80% of the officers in the service nationally, and many PCs will stay at this rank their entire service, moving around laterally to do a variety of roles in a variety of departments. Those with a hankering and aptitude to investigate crime will become detective constables, and it's not unusual for someone to move to and fro between uniformed and detective roles particularly if they're successful in promotion processes and move up the ranks. Uniformed PCs and sergeants wear epaulettes with their shoulder number printed in silver lettering. In the Met, my collar number was 233, and when I transferred to the West Midlands, they gave me a new shoulder number of 0341, which took me a while to adjust to. In the Met, PCs also have their local divisional two-letter call sign above the number. So in my case, as I worked at Clapham, I was LM233. Sergeant. This is the first rung on the supervisory ladder in the police service, and in my view, the most crucial supervisory rank. A good sergeant is worth their weight in gold. The best ones have complete integrity, they lead by example, drive performance, motivate staff, create an enjoyable environment to work in, and get the best out of their team. A weak, lazy or bullying sergeant will do the exact opposite. Those who investigate crime have the title detective sergeant. PCs or DCs typically refer to their sergeant as Sarge. However, in London, they're also referred to as skipper, which is sometimes shortened to skip. In some forces, including the West Midlands, where I spent the second half of my 30-year service, sergeants are often referred to as the stripe, on the basis that they wear the three sergeants' stripes on their shoulder epaulettes. Inspector. This is the first rank where one could accurately be termed a manager in the police service. They typically lead teams of four or five sergeants and perhaps anything between 20 and 50 constables. They're generally uniformed inspectors or detective inspectors, but there are lots of other niche roles where inspectors may not fall neatly into either of those categories. These roles may involve working with partner agencies, managing violent offenders or sex offenders in the community, and lots of other things that the police now do, but which the public are probably unaware of. Male inspectors are referred to as Sir by their staff, and female inspectors as Ma'am, although typically both sexes are addressed simply as Boss. There are again regional variations. In London, inspectors and above are frequently addressed as Governor 
which is often shortened to Gov. In the West Midlands and many Northern forces, they tend to refer to inspectors and above as gaffer. I always knew when I was talking to a fellow ex-Met officer in the West Midlands because they would refer to me as Gov, which made me smile. Uniformed inspectors wear epaulettes on their shoulders with two silver pips. Chief Inspector. This is the first rung on the senior management ladder and chief inspectors or detective chief inspectors will sit as a member of the local or departmental senior leadership team or senior management team. This is widely perceived to be one of the most thankless ranks in the police service, as chief inspectors carry a great deal of risk and responsibility, but get paid barely more than an inspector. In my first chief inspector role, I managed 10 inspectors, about 20 sergeants and about 150 constables and members of police staff. Uniformed chief inspectors wear epaulettes with three silver pips and are addressed in the same way as inspectors by their staff. Superintendent. Superintendents carry a lot of responsibility and frequently this is where the buck stops organisationally. That's not to say that ranks above and below don't carry risk, because they do. But I would argue this based on the breadth and seriousness of the decisions that superintendents frequently have to make. A typical superintendent will either manage the day-to-day -day delivery of local operational policing, or manage a large central department with responsibility for many members of staff. They operate at both a strategic and an operational level, and in addition to the day job, they have the authority, provided the necessary legal conditions are met, to make decisions that can have a significant impact on the lives of private citizens. For example, they can authorise someone to be kept in custody beyond the statutory period of 24 hours. They can authorise covert surveillance on an individual or an address, and they can authorise the acquisition of telecoms data and internet data to progress a criminal investigation. A good superintendent, with the obligatory few grey hairs, will know a hell of a lot and will be able to draw upon the learning from a long career in policing to support their staff and make difficult decisions. Perhaps this is why there appears to have been such a high dropout rate amongst the new direct entry superintendents since 2016. Superintendents wear a silver crown emblem on their epaulettes. Chief Superintendent. Officers of this rank have overall responsibility either for an individual geographical command unit delivering policing services or a central corporate department. Most of the 43 forces in England and Wales operate fairly similarly, with obvious differences in size. Some forces are massive, like the Met, West Midlands and Greater Manchester, and some are tiny, like Warwickshire or Durham. In the West Midlands, we had eight geographical command units, all of which were run by a chief superintendent. We had Birmingham West, Birmingham East, Coventry, Solihull, Wolverhampton, Walsall, Sandwell and Dudley. In addition, we also had chief superintendents responsible for the following departments. Response department, which managed all emergency calls 
force operations, which managed firearms, dogs, traffic, public order and searching, Investigations Department, or CID, the Public Protection Unit, which investigated child abuse, domestic abuse and offences against vulnerable adults, Force Contact, which dealt with all of the incoming 999 and non-emergency calls for service, emails and visits to police stations, Force Intelligence, which gathered, analysed and disseminated intelligence relating to criminality and supported complex investigations. Criminal Justice Department, which staffed the custody suites and ensured that the criminal justice system and courts got what they need for prosecutions. Complaints, Discipline and Anti-Corruption Unit, sometimes referred to as the Professional Standards Department. Chief Superintendents generally tend not to get massively involved in the day-to-day -day running of their command units, leaving this to their superintendents and chief inspectors. They operate at a more strategic level and spend a lot of time meeting with senior representatives from partner agencies and community representatives. For example, MPs, local authorities, health and education. They get involved in areas of cross-departmental policy and issues impacting on the wider force. Chief superintendents wear epaulettes with a silver crown emblem and a single silver pip above it. Chief officers. The most senior officers in the police are collectively referred to as chief officers and the titles are the same everywhere in the UK apart from the Met. The first rank on the ladder is assistant chief constable a rank referred to as commander in the Met. They can be recognised by the circular silver bay leaf wreath on their epaulets. Next comes Deputy Chief Constable, referred to as Deputy Assistant Commissioner in the Met. They can be recognised by the bay leaf wreath with a single silver pip above it on their epaulets. Then we have the Chief Constable rank the Met equivalent being Assistant Commissioner. They wear the bay leaf wreath with a silver crown above it. Finally, in the Met, they have a Commissioner, who because of the size of the Met is even more senior than a Chief Constable. The Commissioner wears the same emblems on their shoulder as a Chief Constable, but with the addition of a single silver pip. The chief officers of each force work as a team, or in some dysfunctional forces, actively against one another, and have either wide-ranging geographic or thematic responsibilities. Typically, in a force, you will have one assistant chief constable responsible for all of the geographic command units, one responsible for crime and public protection, and one for everything else. The Deputy Chief Constable tends to oversee the performance of the force in the widest sense, as well as professional standards and organisational change or business improvement programmes. And the Chief Constable is ultimately responsible for everything. Police and Crime Commissioners Police and Crime Commissioners, or PCCs, were an unwelcome gift to the police service from David Cameron when he was Prime Minister. 
PCCs are elected to the role, which sounds great in theory. However, when it all started in 2012, the electoral turnout was woefully poor, and in some regions it was as low as 10%. In 2016, average voter turnout was still only about 27%, which is hardly a ringing endorsement of the successful candidates. The calibre of many of these PCCs has been poor, and they all have different priorities, which brings them into conflict with chief constables, who have a completely different set of priorities mandated by the Home Office. PCCs usually align themselves with a particular political party. Thus, they inevitably see the world through a short-term political lens rather than prioritising what is best for individual victims of crime, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity or postcode. You've probably guessed by now that I'm not a massive fan of PCCs. We were blessed with a great one in West Midlands, but sadly they're not all like him. UK Police Structures The sorry truth is that if someone were given the task today of devising the most inefficient structure for UK policing, they would be hard-pressed to come up with something worse than what we currently have with the 43 different forces in England and Wales. There are 45 if you include Police Scotland and the Police Service of Northern Ireland. Every force does things slightly differently and is funded slightly differently. On top of that, there is a motley collection of PCCs adding to the confusion. As well as having a costly command team of chief officers for every force, there is also a lot of wasted money and duplication of effort in running 43 separate finance departments, IT teams, HR departments and all sorts of other functions. These functions could and arguably should be delivered more effectively from a smaller number of regional hubs. Certain policing activities are delivered regionally, like counter-terrorism and serious and organised crime. The counter-terrorism units and the regional organised crime units are funded and managed differently to the 43 forces, but they still draw their staff from those forces. Finally, there are the odds and sods of policing. These are police units that have a particular mandate and generally do not have the full range of policing powers outside those locations or functions. One of these is the British Transport Police, which is funded by the rail network. It's responsible for the safety of trains and stations. There's also the Ministry of Defence Police, which maintains the security of Ministry of Defence establishments. Finally, there is the Civil Nuclear Constabulary, which maintains the safety of nuclear facilities and nuclear materials in transit.